A lot of guitar players have come around who are faster than Doc, flashier, what have you. But one thing that is so special about Doc Watson's playing that you just can't one-up is his joy and his love for the music. It shines through in everything he does. Hello, and welcome to the Acoustic Guitar Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Grizzle, and that was Alan Barnofsky you heard picking at the top of the show. In this episode, we're celebrating 100 years of Doc Watson. We've invited 11 distinguished guests to share their stories and reflect on his legacy. To help prep for this episode, we went digging into decades of articles and interviews with Doc Watson from the Acoustic Guitar Magazine archives. Writing for AG in 1993, Music journalist Stephanie P. Legend sets the scene for us. At any given Doc Watson performance, one will see and hear not only a guitar player of the finest caliber, but also an intelligent, witty, down-to-earth gentleman who loves to share the music of his heart and home. Watson is an extraordinary entertainer who never fails to capture the admiration and affection of his audience. His concerts are filled with hot, flat-picking tunes, slow romantic ballads, gutsy blues numbers, and delicately finger-picked melodies. Each song is sung with unmatched clarity, each tune played with a dexterity that has placed Doc Watson's name in the music history books. This episode is less a historical text and more personal. You'll hear memories from a range of talented musicians, producers, and makers. And we'll learn about the far-reaching influence of Doc Watson, You'll also find links to additional resources like recommended listening and guitar lessons in the show notes. The Acoustic Guitar Podcast is a listener-supported show. Thank you to the thousand-plus guitarists already supporting us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash acousticguitarplus to join them. If you can't contribute at this time, please consider leaving a review of the show on Apple or Spotify. Your feedback helps other guitarists find this show, which in turn helps us. And now I'll kick things over to pioneering bluegrass titan and close friend of Doc, Peter Rowan. Hello, this is Peter Rowan, and uh, I want to tell you how I met Doc Watson and what he's meant to me over the years. Doc uh, came up to Massachusetts um, where I was living. I was about uh, 20, 21 years old. Doc was 35, so he was like an elder brother to me. He had just become a solo artist and willing to travel. And uh, I was playing with uh, Bill Keith and Jim Rooney up around Massachusetts. And Doc Watson would come to town, and I'd have to give up my, my little uh, folding bed in the, in the den for Doc to sleep on. And I uh, got to know him, and we got to hang out a little bit and, and play. And he, he was just starting his his solo uh, appearances and he had told Terry Gross he didn't uh, on NPR he did he didn't think anybody wanted to hear that old homespun music 
Uh, Doc had been playing electric guitar in some bars and honky-tonks in North Carolina. He had lost his sight, so he had gone to um, a mechanics training school, and he was very, very good with his hands. He could build almost anything. Uh, he could work on a car. He knew what was going on with uh, mechanical um, processes. But he was, at the time, just uh, just starting out and thing about Doc was that he wasn't the older generation, which would have been a primary phase of the bluegrass uh, kind of birth of bluegrass in 1945, 1948. Doc was a kid then, and he learned all those beautiful old tunes done by the Monroe brothers. And our first concert altogether was when uh, Bill Monroe came up to Boston, and we became his band members. Bill Keith had been a bluegrass boy, and so Bill Keith had me come and play a rhythm guitar and sing lead with Bill Monroe. And Bill Keith played the banjo. Um, Everett Allen Lilly played bass. He was the son of Everett Lilly, uh, of the Lilly brothers, who played over at the Hillbilly Ranch there in, in Boston. And uh, Tex Logan came up from New Jersey and brought with him a young fiddler named Gene Lowinger. And so we had the twin fiddles, and the banjos, the full band for Bill Monroe, when he came up and we played, I think it was uh, Symphony Hall in Boston, and it was Doc Watson's birthday. And Doc and Bill played the entire first set of Monroe Brothers tunes, uh, where uh, Bill and Charlie Monroe had done in, in the 30s. And uh, Doc sang uh, Charlie's part, and Bill just loved it all, and... Uh, of course, it was Doc's birthday, so it was all honor to him. And then we played the the uh, final set, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. Playing with Bill Monroe was like, you know, stepping through this barrier to uh, musical uh, musical subtleties and uh, and a kind of energy. And that's why I first th thought of the term "walls of time," hearing the way Bill played the mandolin. He could uh, completely direct the band with his uh, rhythmic sense. And so over the years, Doc always remained a friend, and he'd always invite me up to play. And he, being a son of the first generation of the string band uh, explosion, the revolution of bluegrass, he too was part of our, our generation, and he invited all of us um, uh, Jerry Douglas and the Nashville Bluegrass Band and all the different members of our sort of our generation to be part of his his uh, musical explorations. He recorded with a, a lot of younger players, and um, yeah, he was he was the the guy. And the festival we play every year in honor of his son Merle is really the legacy of Doc Watson in many ways. Of course, it's gone beyond that now. But um, Doc was always generous and wonderfully kind person. And uh, up in Deep Cap, North Carolina, some folks up there still say, it's a Doc Watson morning, D-18 guitar picking kind of day. Yep, it is a Doc Watson kind of morning. Love that. Now here's flat picking ace, David Greer. I had the honor of uh, being backstage at Rocky Grass, and I saw Doc, and Doc was back there. I was warming up for my show, and he was hanging out. And I saw him, and we started talking. I told him how uh, Thoughts of Never is one of my favorite tunes. 
And he said, oh, do you play that? And I said, well, no, it's too heavy a tune. And uh, he said, here, give me your guitar. And he, he played it for me. It was really cool. He put the capo on the second fret, played it out of a C shape, you know, really a D chord, but a C shape. And it was wonderful. And I still haven't tried to play it. It's a heavy tune that uh, Merle wrote. And uh, you should check that out. It's called Thoughts of Never. Now, as far as the question about what do I think his impact would be on music and what his legacy is, well, it was so good. His playing was so great. There were no gratuitous, flashy licks, none of this look at me, look at me stuff that's so prevalent nowadays. His playing was straight to the cut to the chase. It was just beautiful. And what inspires me the most about Doc's playing is just the timing of it. It was on top, he'll take a solo and it was right on top of the beat and propelling the band forward and it just had a a cool thing about it, cool cadence that was the best. I like his voice. I like his voice, his singing. It's not, you know, Pavarotti and he wasn't wanting to be and I love that. And uh, anywho, this is David Greer. I don't want mean to interrupt your Doc Watson listening any more than that. So y'all take care. Don't ever change. I'll see you around. Next, we'll hear from Mitch Greenhill, who produced six records with Doc and Merle Watson. It was easy to forget that Doc Watson was blind. He was so self-sufficient. But every now and then, he would reminisce about uh, being a young boy and walking the hills around Deep Gap, North Carolina, orienting himself by sounds of birds and insects. And once I remember we were on the road and I knocked on his hotel room door. It was nighttime and I kind of remarked that the lights weren't on. And Doc said he thought maybe it would be more considerate to the sighted person if he remembered to turn the lights on. But the story I'm thinking about today took place on a birthday, one of my birthdays. I started off normal. I went to work and I maybe I was... Uh, making phone calls to book uh, gigs for Doc and Merle, or maybe I was following up on some record production that we were involved in. And a large package was delivered to the office door. I opened it up and I found this large and beautiful 12-string guitar, Bojo 12-string guitar, that I recognized as Doc's. I was stunned. I, uh, I called Doc up and said, Doc, what, what is this? This is so amazing. And he kind of chuckled and said, Well, I was going to leave that to you in my will, but I wanted to see your face when you opened up the case. Wow. Thanks, Mitch. What a great memory. Let's see what our good friend Tommy Emanuel has to say. Here's a few words uh, from my heart about one of my longtime heroes, the great Doc Watson. Growing up in Australia, especially being out in the bush like where I came from, um, the only records that I could find in those days were Chet Atkins records. So I heard Chet Atkins first, then I heard Merle Travis, then I heard Doc Watson. And um, when I heard Doc the first time, I actually heard uh, Merle and Chet's influence on him. That's what I first heard. And I noticed that there was an element of kind of swing and rock and roll in parts of his playing. So he must have been into pop music and rock music in some form or other. But anyway, um, 
I've always loved Doc's playing. I think the first thing I heard him play was Deep River Blues and uh, Doc's guitar or tickling on the strings um, and then Southbound and all that. And I, I heard lots of uh, the records that he did with Merle and, um, you know, Dockerbilly and records like that. So I was very much aware of Doc. But it, what really moved me the most was his phenomenal playing on the album with Chet Atkins called Reflections. I think it's some of Doc's best playing. And, um, and I know from staying at Chet Atkins' house, I, I got a glimpse into his world and he admired Doc so much. In fact, on his, uh, in his fireplace uh, little uh, area, there on the mantelpiece was a statuette of Doc and uh, it sat there proudly, you know. Uh, and, and, and I think, like me, the thing that Chet was moved by with Doc was his authenticity. He was such an authentic man and, uh, and he was like that to the end and uh, a man who lived and breathed his music who loved his family and who was a great, great uh, example to all of us. He was generous on stage all the time and, uh, and had a great quality control about his playing. It was always beautiful, always in tune, always in time and always full of great ideas. And when, when he sang uh, gospel music, you really felt the presence of God around him. And um, so God bless Doc Watson and thank you for asking me to talk about him. One of my favorite subjects. Authenticity, such a perfect word to describe Doc as a person and as a player. That's something I think we all strive for in our music. Next up, singer-songwriter and monumental mandolinist Sierra Hull shares her insights on what made Doc Watson a true authentic. I think I'm probably just most inspired when listening to Doc at how he just is so himself, it never seems like he's putting on a front to be something he's not. It just seems like he kind of just, you know, puts his guitar in his lap and, and starts singing. And what you hear just really sounds like the truest example of what you would imagine he is. Um, he doesn't sound like anybody else. Of course, you know, you hear certain influences, but like just such an original and the comfortability Despite any challenges he, you know, had to endure in his life, um, just seems like he just had such ownership of who he was as a musician. And that's a cool thing and something that I know I'm always trying to, to find with my own self, my own playing, trying to figure out how to be just comfortable being what you are and, and believing that that's enough. And in Doc's case, it was certainly enough, more than enough. <laughs> It's hard to imagine, you know, people like Tony Rice without a Doc Watson first. I mean, you know, Doc, um, as far as a flat picker, is, you know, one of the most influential ever. Um, for me, though, it, it's not just about his guitar playing. Um, the first time that I heard his music was actually on an instrumental guitar album that was kind of new around the time I was just getting into bluegrass. And so my dad bought that that album, brought it home, we listened to it a bunch, and then it was only later that I realized, oh my gosh, he sings, and his voice just captivated me. I loved his singing from, from the very start. It was just such a smooth, 
smooth polished thing about it that just um automatically made me fall in love um and just the you know the ease in which he both played and sang it always just sounded like he was breathing like it came so easy um so yeah it's hard to imagine you know the the heroes that I now consider, you know, that came after Doc, um, influential to me, what they would have been like without Doc's influence on their music as well. So yeah, it's the musical legacy there is just huge. Next, we hear a bit about guitar technique from producer and guitarist John Leventhal. My favorite Doc Watson album is one that was on Vanguard called On Stage. I think it came out in 1970, 1971. I was a freshman in college, I think. Uh, That record really had a massive impact on me. It really opened my eyes to so much music, um, so much repertoire, and just the incredible nature of Doc and Merle's guitars interweaving contrapuntally together, their sense of syncopation, their lines, everything about it uh, really made an impact on me, period. In fact, in some ways, I would say anytime I make a record with two guitars, somewhere in the back of my mind is that record. Um, It's uh, really a phenomenal record and beautifully recorded. The only time I ever spent with Doc was backstage at the bottom line. Uh, It was wonderful, though. He spent a good deal of time extolling the virtues of, at that point, new Shub Capo that had, as I recall, a little roller on it. Made it a little more precise, a little perhaps better machined, and he was really uh, praising it endlessly. So, of course... What did I do? Uh, what any sensible musician would do? I went out the next day and bought one for myself, and they are really good. Um, you know, what is Doc's legacy? It's uh, hard to quantify, but I would say it's close to monumental. He was revolutionary in his way. Um, definitely one of the fathers of flat picking. Um, inspirational as well. Um, you know, anytime I listen to Doc, I just basically feel like I need to work harder. <laughs> so on that level alone, it's uh, it's been a pretty profound influence on me. But of course, all of Doc's technique was in service to heart and soul, which is by far the deepest part of his legacy. Inspirational indeed. Be sure to check out John Leventhal and Roseanne Cash's rendition of I Am a Pilgrim, the title track off the new tribute album, I'm a Pilgrim, Doc Watson at 100. You heard Alan Barnowski's playing at the top of the episode. Now let's hear what the AG contributor and flat-picking whiz has to say about Doc's influence. My favorite guitar player to listen to is hands down Doc Watson. And my favorite record of his is called The Best of Doc Watson, 1964 to 1968. There's a little bit of a story about how I first came across this record. Um, I grew up in Southeast Michigan in the late 90s and early 2000s. And as you might expect, uh, folk music was not that popular in that part of the country at that time. So I just hadn't heard of Doc until I was a teen. And the way I did hear about him was the way I heard about a lot of good music. What I would do is I'd go to my local library because you couldn't just go online and listen to anything you wanted at that time. And CDs were expensive. So I'd go to the library and 
scour their CD racks and find anything that looked remotely interesting to me. And I'd check out stacks of CDs and bring them home and give them a shot. The first Doc Watson CD I found was the same one, the best of Doc Watson, 1964 to 1968. And it remains my favorite of his. It's a compilation of a few short years where he was mostly playing as a solo musician, um, sometimes with a little bit of accompaniment. And it's raw, and there are live takes, and there's banter, and you just get a this perfect sense of who Doc Watson was and what his music was. You can hear his guitar styles just clear as day. Uh, it's just it's just so good. <laughs> so go check out this CD. I'm sure you'll love it. I'm sure you can find it online, but you know you could also maybe go see if it's at your library. <laughs> One thing I do want to add is that. Um, you know, it's been a long time since Doc Watson was playing, you know, this style of music in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, a lot of guitar players have come around who are faster than Doc, flashier, uh, more vocabulary, what have you. But one thing that is so special about Doc Watson's playing that you just can't one-up is his joy and his love for the music. It shines through in everything he does, and it shines through in this record as well. So that's the reason why I love Doc Watson. That's the reason why I love this album. And I love really all of his music. Um, and that's it. Thanks. Thanks, Alan. You'll find links to some of his excellent picking lessons in the show notes for this episode. And don't miss his Doc Watson feature lesson in the July-August 2023 issue of Acoustic Guitar Magazine. Now here's David Mathis of Gallagher Guitars. I'm David Mathis, and I'm the owner of Gallagher Guitars, and I'm happy to tell you a little bit about our very rich and deep history with Doc Watson. Even to this day, Doc still has a great influence on what we do. In 1968, J.W. Gallagher and his son Don went down to a music festival in North Carolina, and at that festival had a chance meeting with Doc and Merle. Merle invited them over to the house the next day so they could play the guitars. Doc really enjoyed the uh, mahogany guitar, G50, and wanted to buy it. But it was the only one available to bring to the festival, and it had a imperfection in the finish. And so JW wouldn't sell it to him. But he told him he would loan it to him. He could have it as long as he wanted. When he was done, he could give it back. That guitar became known as Old Hoss. It was used on the famous Will the Circle Be Unbroken album with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and later said, for years in the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame. That also led to Doc's second Gallagher, which he was involved, he and Merle both were involved in the design of, and it became known as the Doc Watson model. And then a few years later, Doc, with the aid of Merle, supplied his signature that was then used for inlay on the 12th fret of the Doc Watson signature model. And so we carry on the legacy of Doc's guitar with the Doc Watson model. And being able to inlay that signature is a very visible sign of Doc's continuing presence with us.
That demo was the Doc Watson signature model from Gallagher Guitars, played by Ryan Cavanaugh. Next, we'll hear about Merlefest, the music festival held annually in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. It was started in 1988 in memory of Merle Watson and celebrates traditional plus music. Here's B. Towns, the festival's founder and director. My earliest memories of time spent with Doc, of course, in the early days, or as he called them, the dudes playing days of developing Merlefest, when I'd visit with him at his home and we'd take walks to to talk about possible talent to bring to Merlefest or collaborations. And he was like a, a father to me in so, so many ways because without the personal music background, he was my eyes and ears to the music. And as we would travel to other festivals or events to allow him to perform with, with other musicians or to try and recruit folks to come to Merlefest, uh, I got to see the world through visiting with him, his, his musical legacy. And thinking about legacies, I, I think Doc opened the door to his home of mountain music to the world through his unique style. I was asked about some favorite performances or memories with Doc and uh, immediately thought about the, the jams we put together in some of the early Merle Fest. Uh, we called them the Doc Jams. And when we put together spontaneously, you know, Sam, Jerry, Bela, Tony, Peter, T, Jack, Stuart, Alan, and so many others. Uh, I think those types of memories at Merlefest are, are so special to myself and, and to the fans of Merlefest. The jams, the Doc Watson jams. And here's Lindsay Craven, artist relations for Merlefest. My favorite Merlefest memories of Doc all took place at the Creekside stage during his Gospel Hour events on Sundays. There just always seemed to be a special magic to those sets, and it always left me with such a serene and peaceful last few moments of the festival, no matter how hectic or stressful the work had been that weekend leading up to that moment. I think Doc has left behind a tremendous legacy in both his style of playing and in the way he was so welcoming and encouraging of his fellow musicians, but especially to young and up-and-coming musicians. I don't think you would have the current Roots legends like the Avett Brothers, Old Crow Medicine Show, or even Billy Strings without the support and inspiration that Doc Watson provided. Uh, since I'm not a musician, I can't speak as much on Doc's playing style, but I can say that I think the most inspiring thing about Doc's playing is the awe and appreciation it's brought out in everyone who's been blessed enough to see him perform live and the inspiration that he's provided for countless musicians just starting to make their mark and then the ones that have yet to even break out on the scene. There's just no one like Doc Watson. I mean, that sums it up perfectly. There's just nobody like Doc Watson. And by the way, if you haven't been to Merlefest, it is one of those must-attend bucket list types of festivals. If you're listening to this episode on AcousticGuitar.com and you have attended Merlefest or you have a Doc Watson story of your own you'd like to share, you can scroll all the way down to the end of the show notes and post a comment there. And last, but certainly not least, we hear from guitarist, composer, researcher, and Genoa ambassador to the world, Beppe Gambetta. 
Hi, I'm Beppe Gambetta and uh, I would like to share with you some personal memories about uh, uh, my meetings uh, with uh, the great Doc Watson. I I was able to meet Doc Watson the first time uh, in my life on September 15th, 1985. Uh, that was my first trip uh, from Italy to the United States and I was able to go and listen to the Dalonega Bluegrass uh, Festival in Georgia. It was a festival that, uh, um, that had uh, also uh, Norman Blake and Tony Rice and uh, um, and uh, Joe Carr from the Country Gazette and Charles Hotel from uh, the um, the Hot Rise. So it was a, a dream place, and I was able to listen to the Quasson my my first time, and it was an incredible show that he did. I I even was able to shake his hand at the end of of the concert, and I was uh, uh, really surprised that uh, his hand had colors. So the legend that he was working in the field at, at home uh, even though he was uh, blind it was, was true it was a true legend so and uh, I met uh, with the Watson in several other occasions and I was able to perform with him uh, at Merle Fest in uh, 92 and uh, in uh, in the, in the, uh, after a few years, I was um, also at IBMA in the backstage uh, when uh, uh, Michael Cleveland, a, a famous uh, um, blind fiddler, uh, was introduced to the Watson. At the time, Michael Cleveland was a child, and uh, and uh, is in is fantastic how uh, Doc was uh, speaking to him with with really nice fatherly words of encouragement. I remember that everybody was uh, was crying uh, in that moment. Um, I was also uh, going to Deep Gap in the occasion of the funeral of Doc Watson. I was at his viewing and for me it was really important to be there and I remember I performed some sweet uh, Italian music and uh, in, in that occasion. I really recently visited also the grave of Doc Watson with some uh, um, f dear family friends of, of uh, uh, the family of Doc Watson who were able to bring me there to, to, to visit uh, the grave of Doc and Merle and Richard uh, Watson that is in, on private land uh, in the, uh, in the uh, really close to the uh, last, latest uh, home of, of the Watson. Um, if I have to say a wish, I wish that uh, uh, it would be possible maybe in special days uh, for all the people that really loves Doc Watson to be able to visit uh, the grave and pray for him. So because I think that uh, that the field uh, is a, 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 like a national mon monument and uh, uh, so I hope uh, it will happen. And uh, I guess that the impact on music of Doc Watson uh, was huge and uh, uh, of course the, the, there are really important names of uh, uh, guitar players who 
who were influenced by him. Uh, the names are Aldi Mela and Billy Strings and so many more. But I think it is important also the influence that he gave uh, uh, to many uh, more simple people all over the world. You know, I, I think uh, he, it was an international impact because I keep on meeting with people that love Doc Watson that comes from really far away. I met Doc Watson fans uh, from India, from Russia, from Greece, from Belgium, from uh, many, many uh, different places. So um, it, uh, I guess that this is a, a beautiful legacy that uh, crosses uh, borders. And uh, my favorite um, album of Doc Watson I guess it's Doc Watson on stage because um, I think that was the peak of his duo uh, career with uh, with Merle. They they really uh, performed um, an impeccable concert, and uh, I I love the vibe uh, of the audience and how it was perfectly recorded. So in uh, if uh, I would uh, choose, I would have to choose choose one, uh, uh, one album to bring with me in the Lonely Island, I for sure would choose Doc Watson on stage. What um, inspires me from Doc Watson's music and style are, are of course, first of all, the uh, incredible uh, um, fiddle tunes that he was transcribing uh, on the guitar. He's a father of flat picking because he was uh, transcribing so many really nice fiddle tunes uh, on uh, on the flat picking guitar but uh, generally he he has a remarkable ability to draw uh, melodies uh, from uh, from the traditions and and uh, bring them on his guitar and, and with his voice and, and build up a really, really nice show. Um, and that was not only flat picking, what, but was much more. And uh, I, I love how uh, he was able to uh, build up his stage uh, setting and his, his, uh, um, his sets uh, of, uh, um, of, the, of his concerts. Um, uh, one important thing that inspires me is also how he was able to sense the audience. And it's, it's like he was building an invisible wire with the audience that he was holding the audience with this invisible wire in a in a really nice way i for this and many more reasons i will continue to uh, play uh, a little bit of um, the music of the watson in my concert and and for sure to be inspired by his work in in my artistic choices and i will try to continue his legacy uh, in, uh, in bringing to the guitar uh, some old melodies. And I hope uh, in my career to, to, meet, to continue to meet uh, Doc Watson fans uh, and, uh, and, to f uh, and many other people that uh, continue to love uh, this great father of the music. I love that image of holding the audience with an invisible wire. Yeah. Doc Watson certainly has a legacy that crosses borders. Thank you, Beppe Cambetta and all of our guests for sharing how Doc Watson touched and continues to inspire you. 
and happy 100th to Doc Watson. Thanks for listening. Acoustic Guitar Podcast is brought to you by the team at Acoustic Guitar Magazine. I'm your host, Nick Grizzle. The Acoustic Guitar Podcast is directed and edited by Joey Lusterman. Tanya Gonzalez is our producer. Executive producers are Lizzie Lusterman and Stephanie Campos Delbroy. Our theme song was composed by Adam Perlmutter and performed for this episode by Alan Barnowski. If you enjoy this podcast and want to support us, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash acoustic or find the link in the show notes for this episode. As a supporter, you'll have access to exclusive bonus episodes, along with other special perks. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support.